do not be too creative and stop talking and only need to go to the bathroom when we tell you to and you're only allowed to eat when we tell you to. Do you see how that is what's called Taylorism at its finest? They're teaching you how to go to a factory and to work. And so all you're having to do, you're having to rediscover what was naturally yours, which is your own creativity, which is going to be unique to you. Welcome everyone to another episode of Live Right Now podcast. Today we are meeting with Alia DeAngelis and she is someone that works with entrepreneurs in helping them bring their ideas to life and has participated in many different organizations and has a lot of experience about what it takes to be an entrepreneur and bring an idea from concept to reality. Alia, welcome and tell us a little bit about yourself what do you do and how does that relate to your life purpose? Yeah, I do a handful of things. I work at a global go-to-market lead for Agility at Accenture, which is very exciting working in the Fortune 100. But I also mentor and coach a number of startup founders through Sky's the Limit. And excuse me, they're, pardon, they're from marginalized populations. So that's an interesting thing to hear about what it takes in their world. And then I actually work as a psychedelics integration coach on the side as well. And I often work in startups, helping the leaders understand how, what does it take to move things forward or to the next level, whatever that means to them. I love what you said about working with, working with startups from marginalized populations, because that's related to what, you know, what I'm trying to do with Live Right Now and, and the community we're trying to build, the Change the World Club. And, and we're focusing on, on people that are in the low income brackets. Mm. They're just trying to get ahead a in life. Before we continue, what, what can you tell me about working with people? What does it take to help someone develop the kind of self-reliance and, and the mindset um, to be an entrepreneur? Yes. Yeah, so this may be a little controversial, but I think you have to be able to do it for yourself. There are a lot of coaches and mentors out there who have no problem telling you what to do, but they don't know how to do it themselves. And so the realistic nature of their advice is limited uh, and they don't have a perspective on it. And it doesn't mean that you have to walk the same path as the people that you're with, but there is something about putting your own oxygen mask on first in order to guide people or sit in the hard spaces that an entrepreneur is going to sit in as they unfold what it looks like to become who they want to be and to live the dream that they're looking to live. So what I'm getting is, is that in order to be able to help anyone else be an entrepreneur, you have to, you have to know the nitty gritty of what it takes to, to do that. And in your experience, what does it take to be an entrepreneur? What does that, what does that look like? Well, first of all, you want have to want something other than to be rich and to know you're going to fail and be okay with failure. There's a lot of personal journey as I, as I work with, you know, a number of these marginalized entrepreneurs, they bump into themselves on the path to what they want to do and what they want to be. So you, you've got to have grit. You've got to have a knowing that the hard may be surprisingly hard. And it's, and it's in different areas than you might think. Do you have any examples that you could share with that? Yeah, for sure. There was a young woman I was working with. She wanted to become an influencer in mental health and in counseling, and she was getting her master's degree. And she, again, is from a, a marginalized population and group. And as we were moving through things in coaching, she ran into her own 
confidence in herself and her own imposter syndrome. And so she wasn't able to, she could identify what her next steps were, but she could not achieve them without really, I mean, being in the mental health field, she returned to her own counseling and therapy to unpack some of the limiting beliefs about who she was and why she was so that she didn't bring that into her journey. What would you say the role of, of mindset or how we see things is in, in entrepreneurship? It's 100%. You can look at different things through different frames and where somebody sits, they'll see it slightly different. And that is such a trite old saying, but the context in which you are raised, in which you believe will influence how you solve the problems as an entrepreneur that you want to solve. And sure, you're solving them and there are other people who have the same problems. Is that the problem you want to solve? And have you grappled with that problem? So if you're an entrepreneur and you want an after-school program, are you doing it from your own woundedness and pain? And then do you end up recreating woundedness and pain in the solution that you've created for the people you're trying to serve? And many of the times you do. Even if it's 10% or 20%, you're still bringing the woundedness And it's not intentional, it's just accidental. Wow, kind of making me think, would you say that there's a difference between how we we would think as an entrepreneur versus how we think as a consumer or an employee? And and what is that difference? Tell me more about that question. Ask me in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what's the difference in what we're focusing on as an entrepreneur versus what we're focusing on as just a regular employee? You know, in all honesty, the entrepreneur or the founder role, which I think is what you're asking about, Mm -hmm. can be very challenging because the employee is often there to help support the dream, but they often have their own slight dream and they they have their own perspective in how an, a business should be run. And they don't always understand the financial pressures and the board pressures and the market pressures. A founder has all of that on them. A founder has a passion and an idea. They're going to get all kinds of people, including employees who challenge that idea. They're going to have advisors and funders and the market that's all looking at different, different perspectives. Like if you think of an Elon Musk, who I know he's well-developed, He's always having to actually make the market before the market is even there. And so founders face that pressure. Employees don't. They're joining the bandwagon. But that other pressure, which is being willing to be an iconoclast or to hold the space for an idea that hasn't come to fruition or that nobody's thinking about, that is very, very difficult. What what does it take to become that way? I mean, or, or maybe what's that journey been like for you? It's... I think meaning becoming more of a founder and having a founder mindset. Mm -hmm. I think some of it is knowing my own edges where I'm going to need help. And sometimes knowing where I can't quite believe in myself and I have resources and I have my own coach who helps me, but it's amazing. Do you know who Rick Rubin is? I can't off the top of my head say that I do. That is okay. So he's a producer and I believe he's one of the founders of Def Jam Records He has recently written another book and he's done a ton of podcasts for it. So for those who are listening to this and you truly want to be a creator, go dip into all the free podcasts that he has done recently. And he talks about 
how he helps artists bring into the world. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt. Just want to throw in a little epic music right here because what she said was very inspiring. Something that is not currently known and that the world doesn't know it needs yet. And getting comfortable in that space is a journey of just being in discomfort. So for me, sometimes I'll practice yoga or meditation or just eating food I don't like or being in spaces that I don't love and breathing and, and not owning the discomfort, but being able to be with the discomfort of emergence. And that that is a very, as a lifelong discipline and a practice that I want to sit with and I do sit with as, as a founder and as a creator. Because as things emerge, there's always the dissonance that occurs. And we often call it edge, the edge of what's trying to happen. And if you keep returning over to the safety, you're a good supporter of creativity, but it is that the creator crosses that edge and can sit there. So that's my practice a lot. It's just different things that help me to sit with discomfort. That's really interesting. I feel like there's a lot of fears that, that maybe come up when, when people are considering being yep. an entrepreneur. What sorts of challenges do you see that people have had, or maybe what are some experiences you've had with helping people overcome those things? Self-awareness. I mean, the things that I, I'll work on to, with them is just a light, like I said, a lot of self-awareness, but without the shame, like, yes, you are not good at that. But that's okay. So I'll have them do like a Clifton Strengths Finder or some other type of personality profiling. And they always get very hung up on their weaknesses, right? It's like 34 things and they go, oh, look what I'm bad at. And I said, that's not the point. The point is nobody is all 34. And let's go focus on staffing, getting other co-founders or getting other employees who are good at those things. Everybody owns where they play and where they dance. And then you dance together. It's a team. So helping them to, to realize that the awareness around what you're good at and what you're not as good at, and then to trust other people to do what they're good at and leave the things you're get good at to you or co-create or collaborate on those. And that you're not alone is one of the big mechanisms for helping a founder to overcome their own personal challenges. Then sometimes it's just other things like, do you understand funding rounds? and how to tell a story. If you're not a good storyteller as a, a founder, you know, let's go get you into some storytelling workshops, which happens a lot. Many of them are probably too good of storytellers. So we've got to help keep them accurate and precise and they can spin a, a yarn and others are terrible storytellers and they hate being in front of people. Some are good at the numbers, some are not good at the numbers. So it's really just going, okay, what? What am I good at? What am I not good at? And how do I learn some of that if there's not time? Because often there isn't time, particularly when there's an acceleration of that startup. And then let's go hire people and learn how to get good people. So so it first starts with this self-awareness of your For weaknesses. Sure. And it sounds like also there's a, a second part of that, which is being at peace with your weaknesses. And let's add strengths. I'm going to interrupt you. It's really knowing what you're good at and what you're not so good at. Mm -hmm. Anyway, continue. Okay. And then, and then what I'm hearing is working with other people that can compensate for those, those yep. areas and, and staffing your organization. So bringing it back to those people that are in, in less privileged populations that are trying to start a business, which is, you know, really the, 
kind of the audience of this podcast right now is, is entrepreneurs that don't have a lot of income that are lacking knowledge and skills. How do they, how do they staff, you know, how are they going to do that in, in their situation? So they may not be able to, if we're going to be perfectly honest, but the, the democratization of being a founder is very real right now with all of the social media, even this podcast, right? No one has told you, you're not doing it through a business. This is your own thing. And so you can start it. And all you have to do is reach out to people like me and take the risk. And I might've said no, right? And so it's, it's completely democratized. So at first things might be slower and you're going to have to bootstrap it. And that's okay. I like that a lot. I personally, looking back, you know, my own journey, I, I recognize that I'm starting to see myself more and more as an entrepreneur, but it wasn't, wasn't that way from the beginning. And it's, it's almost like I had to tell myself those stories and mm-hmm. get enough interaction with other entrepreneurs and other content that helped me to kind of change how I think. Do you have any comments on that? I do, Jacob. So here's the deal. We grew up in a time frame that had legacy instruction. We grew up in a time frame where industrialization and industrialized thinking was still king. And what we really needed people to do was sit down in class, don't raise your hand unless you know the answer, only give the answer that everyone knows, do not be too creative and stop talking. And only need to go to the bathroom when we tell you to, and you're only allowed to eat when we tell you to. Do you see how that is what's called Taylorism at its finest. They're teaching you how to go to a factory and to work. And so all you're having to do, you're having to rediscover what was naturally yours, which is your own creativity, which is going to be unique to you. So other education systems like Montessori, the child has all kinds of ways to continue to be creative, both about their curriculum and how they address it and about themselves. You know, we were told, here's how you cut your hair and how you wear your clothes and how you walk to school and what lunches are cool and what lunches are not cool. Well, that homogenization takes the creativity out of people. Now we're seeing a backlash, certainly in society where now people wear whatever they do and they say, and they're, they're more on another, they've swung another direction. The pendulum will swing back to who am I really? And what can I uniquely bring to this planet and to society and that can emerge from you and be created. Does but that it sounds sense? like there's a process to, to do that. There's, there's something scary. I remember I was working in a call center, my first job ever, and there was a real tangible fear that I had mm-hmm. about that insecurity of quitting that to start, start college, mm-hmm. uh, quitting that, that full-time job. So there's definitely seems to be like a real scarcity feeling that people have about being, you know, about starting on their own. You mentioned that, you know, since we grew up there, there's this kind of indoctrination that happens in schools. I, I, I've thought a, a lot about this myself. I went to a charter school that was very much, you know, question the system, think Mm -hmm. for yourself, Mm -hmm. develop your own mindset and things like that. But would you say that there is kind of more of a need for schools that point people more towards entrepreneurship and not so much towards that, that other industrial model? And, and how does that work, you know, in our society? 
Yeah, I mean, it's in in kind of you're more in business. I, I actually teach this to leaders and adults and in companies, which is we're really deeply embedded in the digital age. And the digital age requires people who are thinkers. So if I were going to rejigger education, you know, you don't want people who reject everything or they have this oppositional stance because just opposing something or admiring the problem, as one of my colleagues says, that's not always useful, not in where we're at today, not in the digital age. What we need is people who say, well, why do you think that's happening? What else could happen? What happened before? What might we want to do? What experiment would we want to do to fix that or to solve it? Or is that really the right question anymore? And those are all things that could be taught in school. I'll give you an example. I was very, very lucky. I had a fourth grade teacher, Mr. Burton, who we did all of our baselines, right? Because you had to do your baseline tests. And then he made all of us put our books away for the rest of the school year. And instead, we all got to start stores. So a few times a week, we had commerce. We had to keep our books and do all the things and manage our inventory. As any good entrepreneur and financier would be, I opened the credit card company and was the bank. And so I did quite a bit of the banking for everybody, kept track of their money and their charges. And so that was my, my decision. We weren't assigned anything. We just self-formed. We then, other parts of the day, we had to get into groups and we were writing a movie script. And then we had to film that. And then the sixth graders got to judge how we did. Then at the end of the year, we did a number of other things. At the end of the year, we took our tests, our state required tests, and we all more than passed them. And we wondered about that because he had taught us to think and to talk. I mean, we put our desks away for the most part. This was not a charter school, by the way. This was just a straight up public school. And what he said was, you learned math by having your stores. You learned all the aspects because he would change the game up. He said, you learned English and writing by writing your movie scripts. You learn technology by having to film and edit. And what he'd done is he had just taught us in real world ways and to think about it. And then we were, it was a non-negotiable. You had to work in groups and the groups were changing for each of the different activities. So we learned collaboration and social skills. So there are other ways to equip our people, our children on the planet, critical thinking skills that aren't oppositional, but that are very entrepreneurial. And entrepreneurial, in my mind, is you look into the market, you see a problem that is emerging, and how do you want to solve it from where you sit? And then how do you think about it and continue to question the relevance? Did this work? Did it not work? And then not get too married to your own solution, which is a major problem with entrepreneurs. You know, the, the, what I find, and this is, there's data around this, the reasons that many startups fail is the startup, the founder cannot get along with the co-founder, so it falls apart, or they have poor market fit. Because you know what, I'm sure that this is how you should solve it. Well, let me tell you, if you were sure it would be solved and you'd have a lot of customers. So, and that's an oversimplification. Because sometimes it's how you tell the story about the solution. I bump into that quite a bit, but again, that's a storytelling. So if we reel all the way back to what's the number one thing I'm trying to work with with my startup founders, it's self-awareness because 
I'm not sure if you're aware, but like Y Combinator and some of the other incubators, they actually have speed dating for founders because in order for you to get investment, investment as you move into your A, B, and C rounds, you will need a co-founder because you're going to need to scale. And an investor needs to know, can you get along with other people? Or are you basically a one-man person or a one-man band or one-person band, right? So that's why that self-awareness is so, so important. And then can you, if you can listen to yourself and someone else and you can listen to your market, what are people actually saying? What are users? There's a, there's a startup I'm working with right now who found that they didn't have a good market fit and they have so much self-awareness. They're really a fabulous group and they pivoted. They pivoted with what they found in the market. And even though they loved the other thing, the market needed that. And so they pivoted to it. Now that's what they're doing. It seems very successful at this point. And now it's scaling and scaling is going to be an interesting challenge. So what I'm hearing is it starts with self-awareness and then that expense to also being aware of and in tune with, with your co-founder, being able to work together and also being aware of the market and, yeah. and, and being willing to, you know, work with the ideas that actually will solve the needs that are out there and not just trying to push your ideas onto onto the market. Is that, would you say that's correct? And with the third one, there's a kind of a, it's two-sided. One is, did you find the right problem? And that's, again, if you reel back to self-awareness and being willing to continue to to wonder, is this the right problem? Is this the right problem? Is this the right problem? In business as a consultant, as I'm working with organizations, they'll come to me with a solution and I will dig into what, and I actually coach people on my team at Accenture, but is that the real problem? Keep wondering and stay curious. You know, what else? What else? So you have to really, don't get married to your interpretation of what the problem may be. You may be able to see the surface or a couple clicks into the problem, but dig deeper. What truly is the problem? And you validate that with people that you see who are either solving the problem, so your early adopters, or people who have that problem. And you just keep wondering, does that make sense? Yeah, and that's very powerful. I feel like there are certain things in human nature that make that hard, right? Like I I have a, a friend of mine that's working with me on, on this organization, and we talked about, well, let's let's do something to solve homelessness. Let's address homelessness. Mm-hmm. But, and I could see in his mind, he got so excited about it. I'm going to start a charity. I'm going to help people. Mm-hmm. But I was looking and, you know, I was, and I, I went on chat GPT. I said, name all mm-hmm. the organizations that are addressing homelessness. And there's so many and they're doing so much. And, and so I, I think it is so important that we look at what's already being done. And then we get to the point where we're able to do that at least as well right? Or at least do something that's not being done. Any, any additional thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. So part of my background is medical and cultural anthropology. And so I will often wonder, and I just had this conversation with a friend of mine who worked with homelessness in Seattle, and she's come to a very different mindset. So I'll say for thousands of years, we have always had nomadic humans. So are we the problem? The people who are homesteaders, who want to live in a house, who don't believe you should have the right to be homeless. So have we constructed society that forces them 
into an, the only acceptable way of living, which is in a house, maybe we construct a, a society that's fine with nomadic living again. And we have places and locations that are okay for them to hang out and just to be. Are we the problem? Does that make sense? Yeah. And so you question, it's, it's a matter of some of the most creative entrepreneurs and creators ask questions like that. Am I the problem? Because why does somebody have to believe in what I believe, which is you should live in a house and you should behave this way and you should do this and that. So now there's nowhere for nomadic people to live. And so those kind of people are the ones who are really the iconoclasts who can break all the societal norms, which goes back to mindset, right? And ask the question, even if the question isn't valid, it doesn't mean that from that base of, shouldn't we just allow people to be nomadic? No, it doesn't mean that they should be burning trees down and robbing people, right? We have to have some type of parameters, but nomadic people didn't do that in the old days. That's a modern phenomenon. So when you can ask, the break all the rules questions, then you may be able to find the right problem. And then you can look for the right answer. And that's the digital age. An industrial age says, do not find the problem. We have the problem. The problem is you need to push the button for eight hours a day and don't ask questions. Just push the button. Wear your hat, wear your shoes, push the button. Don't fall in the vat of oil. Those are the rules. Bring your little lunch. Your lunch goes here, go home, go to sleep come back. We're going to wear you out. You'll die at 55. You're welcome. You have, you have your life, right? You have your, your life that is born on behalf of, of your Carnegie's and your Rockefellers. The digital age needs people to question. And you get that. You get that with Black Lives Matter. You get that with the quote unquote woke narrative. We're part of what they're doing is trying to ask questions that break the foundation of the narrative, which is, do homeless people have to live in a house, or could they just be nomadic? And I'm the problem. That's a that's a powerful way to think. Would you say that there are boundaries to that? And it sounds like the objective is is not to you know is not to throw away what is true, but more what is established to be true, mm-hmm. as perceived by society to maybe find something deeper and more yeah. fundamentally true. Going based on that, how would you say, because what you just described, you know, someone working in a factory, pressing a button all day mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and being treated in a way that is not a very good compliment to their humanity and to their dignity and their potential. So how would you say that, you know, entrepreneurship relates to, human nature and human potential and treating people according to that. So I'm going to answer it in two different ways. First of all, many startups do not treat people in a humane way. They are just as bad, if not worse than the factories. You can see that a lot in your San Francisco narrative. I see it in New York City and it's not okay. I will say that straight up. There is no nirvana. So that's that's a problem that needs to be solved. When you have people who early on are living at Google in their car because they can't even afford to live in an apartment, that's problematic. So I want to put that out there and acknowledge that. But when it comes to becoming a founder or an entrepreneur and rediscovering you know, your own potential, I mean, that is very powerful. And sometimes you'll just 
maybe you're discovering that and you don't have a brand new business. You don't make millions of dollars. But if you can rediscover, if you can shed, raise your hand, sit down, go to lunch, don't talk, behave well. If you can shed that and you find more of who you are in shamanism, they call that a soul retrieval, then aren't you a better husband, wife, spouse, parent, friend, person on the earth? And if that's the end of your entrepreneurial journey, is that enough? Yeah, that's interesting. It starts with starts with your character. And if all you can do is become the best version of yourself, right. then what's wrong with that, right? And who is that self? So I'm going to tell you my, I have a 21 year old son. He is up at the entrepreneur, the Lausanne Entrepreneurship Institute. He's up there. And when he was in pre-K, so this is three years old, I had parent teacher conference and this fabulous, lovely, young pre-K teacher who was so sweet and nice and had the best curriculum sat me down and with the most serious of faces said, Mrs. DeAngelis, we, we have a problem. And I was like, okay, I'm thinking, oh, what is he doing now? Right. What did he do? Did he push somebody? Is he disruptive? I said, okay, yep. Tell me, took a deep breath. And she said, Mrs. DeAngelis, your son, he's too creative. And I was like, what? What? She said, yeah. I said, okay, can you give me an example of that? And she said, yeah. The other day we had a class, it was on clouds. We learned about cirrus and cumulus. And so then we went outside and I said to the kids, again, I'm going to remind everyone, this is three-year-olds, right? What, what is that cloud right there? And your son rose, raised his hand and I called on him and he said, it's a turtle. She said, Mrs. DeAngelis, that is not going to work. That will not help him. You need to teach him to stop that. And I was like, okay, right? And so what I ended up doing, which was very counterculture, was I, I said to him, we should totally do that. But when the teacher asks a question, just tell her what she wants to hear. So I had him do a bimodal thinking because what I didn't want him to have to do is get to my age or your age and go, who am I really? Who am I really? After he'd had you know, taught out of him who he truly is, because that's the best version of yourself. The best version of yourself, and I'm sorry, this may be controversial, is not who the teacher taught you you should be. And now you're a best version of what society taught you to be. The best version of yourself is returning to who you truly are, your intrinsic nature, and being the best version of that. That's really powerful. There's, there's a lot right now in society about being your true self, you know, and, and people will even mm -hmm. take that so far as, as finding your truth. Mm -hmm. And and this kind of moral relativistic thinking that whatever you say is as things are, but with that, oftentimes also throwing out universal principles, universal needs, mm -hmm. things that are true for everyone, and that allow us to function in harmony with with other people in society. How does that relate to entrepreneurship and 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 what you were mentioned earlier about? working in a way as an entrepreneur that's not not creating conflict or not just fighting against the system, but, but creating value. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that one's a super easy one for entrepreneurs. It's much easier for them than it is for us normal folk who are just trying to, to learn and grow, right? So if I'm out there saying the truth about all things, with an entrepreneur, if you are saying my truth is the truth, which is I think what you're asking me, what happens when somebody says, nope, this is the truth and I'm going to do my truth. 
your business is just going to fail and it'll be quick and dirty. I promise you. So that's, that's a, a huge difference between that and somebody who can go build followers, but eventually the, you know, you'll have the influencers who get canceled or they, they lose that following or they get so marginalized. It's problematic. Now, again, with, with an entrepreneur, if you are not actually creating collective value, right, then you're not going to sell anything. You're not going to have users. So you'll fail. It's just, it just is what it is. If it's just value for yourself, then good for you. You have a better blender that solved your problem. And it's or just for, for you. Right. Or for 10 people or 20 people, now you hit your market cap. And we see that all the time where you solved a problem for, you know, a thousand people, but that doesn't give you enough ARR to get your next level of funding. And so you're either going to start losing your market share, it will stay steady and you'll never be able to scale, grow and have a liquidity event, or you'll just eventually stop supporting people and go out of business because you'll run out of money. There's a DNA test that I was super fascinated by called Helix DNA, where that happened to, and they just eventually went out of business. It's it's interesting that entrepreneurship is more, more accepting of reality of what people need and how things are and what opportunities are out there and how life really works than it would be to follow the traditional educational path of just doing what you're told and, and being a good follower. And so far we've talked about kind of the difference between those two thinking models Mm -hmm. I want to bring it back and how, do you have, do you have a few minutes still? I, or are you? I do. Yeah. Okay. I want to bring it back to, to education and, and creating an education that is conducive to entrepreneurship. And I'd like to think of it in terms of mindset, self-mastery and skills, and then what it takes to bring ideas to life and how those relate. What are your thoughts on an entrepreneurial education and what it takes to basically to become an entrepreneur in, in mindset and lifestyle and, and how you think and you know what I mean? Yeah. And in some ways, you know, we're, I think we're, you and I, are, or I'm using entrepreneur in two ways. There's the innovators mindset, but then there's also a business mindset, right? Cause entrepreneurs take things to bring things to life. I think that the, the best mindset other than, you know, obviously self-awareness is an innovator's mindset, which is start small, bring something out there, test it, be willing to fail, fail fast, re reinvent, learn, right? It's not any different than we, you know, do you ride a bike? Did you learn to ride a bike as a kid? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, your fail fast was fall off the bike, right? And so then you just get back on, you're like, well, what did I do? And maybe your parents coached you. And so that innovator's mindset and then being willing to take it to market, which is more the entrepreneurial piece. I mean, they go hand in hand, but it is a totally different way of thinking. We really need kids. But I mean, it could be just as simple if you're, so an example of how could you teach your children to be innovators and entrepreneurs? I mean, first of all, my mother, I don't even know how many businesses I had. I think I started at like seven when I started selling magnets door to door that I made, but we did, I had many businesses. I homemade suckers. I resold donuts. I did a ton of different things, but you, it's just as simple as teaching them to cook. How does this taste? What would you do differently with this spaghetti sauce? How would you make it more yummy? How would you clean your room faster or more or differently? 
it seems like your sister is sad. What happened there? What, what would you guys do differently that would help you to both understand one another, but to get along, right? It starts in those very micro education in, at home and at school to create that innovator's mindset that you, and it's okay to fail. I mean, how many times, like my, when I was selling suckers, I homemade suckers in fifth and sixth grade, and I'd come home with my inventory and my mom would say, okay, what sold today? What didn't sell? What things have you had for a few days? Why do you think that it's not selling? Do you think it's the shape? Cause I would try different shapes. Do you think it's the flavor? What, why do you think, what are you going to do? Because that's money and you can't go buy more supplies to make new. So how are you going to let go of that inventory? What might a loss look like? Now that's probably special circumstances because I had a fairly patient mom in that way, but you know, that's where I would start off with is even as humans, as, as adult humans, titrating our ability to innovate and fail. What am I going to do? I'm going to make cinnamon rolls and I'm going to experiment. And it's just a cinnamon roll and it might suck. And I might throw it away or give it to the geese. Don't give it to the geese. It's actually not healthy for them. I read that the other day, but you know what I mean? You titrate yeah. your own innovation and entrepreneurship as an adult. And then you have more tolerance for failure and experimentation and success. We're horrid at, at going, wow, I really like the caramel sauce, but I hated the cinnamon to sugar ratio. Who puts caramel sauce on their, on their cinnamon rolls? You can tell I'm getting hungry. You know, that's something I would do. I, I think in my kitchen as my laboratory, mm -hmm. I just experiment and try all sorts of different foods together. That's it. Because you're teaching your, sorry to interrupt you, but you're no, teaching go. your autonomic nervous system to be safe with experimentation. And you don't have to do it, you know, with a million dollar product behind you. You can do it in smaller things. And so if you have trauma, which many people do, whether that's in your life or your ancestral trauma, that scares you to death to innovate and be an entrepreneur, titrate it, do something small, grow a plant, grow tomatoes cook the tomatoes, screw the tomatoes up, make them fabulous, titrate your experimentation. How do you, how do you get that sense of security that allows you to want to experiment? I know, I know self-reliance and self-sufficiency is part of that because, but a lot of people, you know, they don't have the energy, the time, the money, at, at least in their minds, they don't to take any risks to experiment like you know they may be working a job that's just barely covering their expenses right. and the rest of their time they're mentally drained you know how do you how do you feel okay taking time and energy and effort to take some risks and experiment what helps create that security in people so you know i was a single mom for a long time and didn't always have food for myself so I get that. So sometimes what I would do is I would park in a different parking spot or I would walk a different way home or try a different street or just changed up my routine or you know, there's all kinds of little ways to refresh that in your brain that also are actually healthy for you. And then sometimes I'm just tapped out. You know, you could try a different song on the radio, like listen to country music just for fun. And that costs you zero. And you can lay on the couch and listen to country music. 
So it doesn't, it doesn't have to be expensive. We think in money because we're Westerners. It's not. And other people have told us, you're a have or you're a have not. There's money or there's not money. You know what? Go to, go to a different Walmart. Go to a different store. You know what I did? Oh my gosh, this terrified me. And I cannot afford to shop at these places. But I found that I had this funny, scarcity, weird mindset around what stores I should go to and not. And so I split my time between Salt Lake City, Utah, and New York City. And so last year, I forced myself to go shopping on Madison Avenue. I took time off and I did a staycation and it terrified me. And I'm going to tell you straight up, some of those women are hangry and they are not nice shop women. They are not nice and they size you up. And the courage it took me just to walk from store to store, I could not do more than three, three and a half hours of shopping. And I was not looking for anything in particular. I was walking in and it would, it ter- this is literally last summer. And so that was free. Well, it did cost me $2.75 each direction on the subway. And that was it. But it scared me. But I did it. So it doesn't have to cost money. It just doesn't. It's it's just about creating new experiences for yourself, being willing to try new mm-hmm. things and put put yourself in out of your out of your comfort zone. That's right? it. And I will tell you, I much prefer shopping at those same stores on, in Soho where there are normal people than on Madison Avenue. <laughs> I learned that. <laughs> but you know what that did? It said to me, I can handle going into these stores where a dress is $6,000, but I prefer the people that are more like me in Soho. And so I discovered that about myself. I also discovered some of the really expensive, expensive brands aren't my jam. And I was okay with that. I felt a little badly. Like, is it just me? Am I just having poor mindset? And I was like, no, I just don't like them. I don't like the way they hang. I don't like the buttons. I just don't like them. And so it, it doesn't have to be expensive. You can experiment in ways that refresh you. Look at a blade of grass. Look at a blade of grass cross-eyed. Giggle, giggle at something new. Listen to a new comedian. They're all over TikTok. They're free. You don't have to spend money to flex the muscle of doing something different that changes the way you think. Eat, eat your spaghetti. I don't eat spaghetti, notably. Eat it with a pancake turner and see how how hard that is. Your kids, if you have children, they'll love that. Tie each other's hands together while you eat. See how that goes. You can do all kinds of crazy fun things that make you innovate. So let's say you're at a dinner table. Everybody ties their hands together, right? And then you have to collaborate on eating. And then you keep talking through, what could we do differently? What could we do differently? All that is a string. That's string and a fun time. You don't have to overcomplicate it. That's awesome. So it's about putting your mind in a place where you're willing to be creative and innovative with and and kind of counteracting that that scared belief that if I do it Mm -hmm. differently, then it could be harmful or dangerous or scary because you did it and it was fine. Yep. Right. Every day you could dance to a different song. Let's go dance in the living room. How would you dance to this one? How would you dance? Like nobody can stand on their feet. Everybody lay down and we're all going to dance. Right. No getting up. You have to dance on your back. How do you move? How would you move to this song? You could do that with your partner. You can just goof off. It doesn't matter. Get rid of the shame. There's somebody named, and I will have to button up, and I know that. So, kind of in closing, there's somebody named Baz Lerman, and I believe he's also in Hollywood. He did a college graduation, a commencement talk 
called Everyone Has the Right to Wear, Sun to Wear Sunscreen. They put it to music. You can find it on YouTube. And in that, he talks about do something every day that scares you to build the muscle. And then it just becomes normal and you go, oh yeah, that's fear. I can do that. That's powerful. And it, it really does seem to tie a lot back to just self-awareness, putting yourself yeah. in different situations and in a way that your awareness and well they say that about dating and marriage too you want to see your future spouse in multiple different circumstances to know them and I, I think you can try that with your product idea you want to try multiple different ideas with your market to know them what it what it works out in in closing what what are your any any final words of advice for the entrepreneur that is growing up in this industrial system mm. pointing towards you know an employee mindset has that kind of scarcity a way of living but wants to create wants to serve wants to give their gift to the world how do they get from there from where they are to there here's what i'll say what you're feeling everybody else feels don't ever let anybody tell you that they're not that's just a lie and go study the digital age and start to break all the rules but don't harm people or yourself while you're doing it there's no reason to do that Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Of course. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this month's episode of Live Right Now podcast. All month long, we're talking about the idea of bringing ideas to life. This interview we just had changed how I think and inspired me to quit my job soon. But you don't have to think in terms of money. You just need to let yourself do something every day that scares you. Get outside of your comfort zone and learn that you can do scary things and be okay. That teaches you to innovate and try new ideas. Just like parents that provide secure attachment to their children, you can provide a secure basis for creativity in your own life by taking risks and being okay with doing things differently. To learn to see things as they truly are, develop self-mastery, and bring new ideas to life, join the Change the World Club. We'll have a community discussion at the end of this month that you can participate in about bringing our ideas to life. Or you can develop your innovator entrepreneur mindset by joining one of our world-changing projects. Together, we really can change the world. Don't wait. Live right now.